So beginning again. Practice is always beginning again. Past memory is gone. Future is uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen. Here and now we establish awareness and presence, taking refuge in that capacity to be aware and to reflect on our experience. Gathering into our awareness, experience of the body by gently, kindly, but persistently bringing and training attention to the rhythm of the breath, feeling of the expansion of the inhalation, sometimes deepening that so we can really feel our embodiment, feel the breath within the body. And then on the exhalation, sometimes softening through the body, releasing some of the tensions and holdings, reminding ourselves on the, on the exhalation, on the out-breath, to gently let be. And then with each new in- inhalation, re-establishing a sense of here, now. Rooting, finding refuge, stability within our awareness, the natural state of the mind. Mind, heart. It's a term using both these words, mind, heart, to refer to what in the Buddhist text is called the citta. Mind has different aspects. It has three primary aspects to it. Usually when we say mind in our Western understanding, we're we're talking about our, our thoughts, our thinking. So training the mind is beginning to understand a fuller understanding, a fuller sense of the mind and the heart. The jitta, mind, heart has within it this, it's called vinyana, or experience of the senses, sensory consciousness. It's a consciousness that arises at the sense doors, moments of seeing, hearing, tasting, moments of body awareness, touch and feeling, moments of smelling hearing and, did I say hearing? Hearing, taste, touch, six sense doors. It's very powerful impingement upon the mind and heart, the jitta, giving the sense in the moments of seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, thinking, which is also a sense, thinking mind, giving the feeling of, a, of someone that is thinking, feeling, tasting, touching, hearing, smelling. But as we, as the mindfulness, as presence starts to slow down our experience, we start to slow down, we can notice that 
there's the moments of, of the sense of someone thinking someone, hearing someone, planning someone, tasting someone, touching. It's, it's changeable. Very, very changeable, very rapid. The sense of subject, the sense of self, co-arises with the sense of object, that which is being experienced, and then dissolves again. But it's so rapid, sometimes the vinyana, sensory consciousness, is likened to electricity, moving from one sense experience to another. So rapid that it gives the sense of a continual inner me that's experiencing, tasting, touching. But actually the me is very dependent upon and shaped by what arises within the sensory consciousness. Another aspect of mind is that which goes out. It's called the manas, that which goes out and feels, sees the world and makes it an object to ourselves. The world around us is a seamless whole, a seamless reality, a seamless oneness. And then there's a part of the mind that goes out and names things. And in that naming, it cuts out a little piece of the seamless tapestry of life. And we have a sense of we know what we've named. The person, the place, the geography, the time, the situation. It gives a feeling of sense of placement. We can distinguish But it creates the sense of things as an object to us. Things are out there and there's me in here. Sometimes this uh, going out to name the world around us, to make it an object, becomes very uh, so such a chronic need to keep naming and What's this? What's that? And then we have a name for things and we think we know what we're, what we're experiencing. We know the world around us. We know the people. We have a name for someone and we know all about them. But even more subtle, we have stories and names for ourselves. Mind's constantly creating pictures and names and structures and ways of projecting onto the sense of the sense of self the sense of me and we think we know then who we are because we have a a phrase or a story i'm this kind of person or that kind of person so this is a, that which creates an object to the awareness this aspect of the mind creates a sense of separateness. And then this, this deeper, sometimes called the heart aspect of mind, is that which feels the effect of the creations that have happened, feels the effect, is touched by the world around us, feels the effect of sensory impingement, This is sensitive, is affected by. 
has a, has a, it feels, resonates with. And often the, when the mind goes out to name things and designate the world around, it's often tinged by what has been felt before in relationship to whatever we're looking at or experiencing. So it's colored, it gets colored. What we perceive is colored by what has been experienced before, what residue from that experience, what remains, or what is conditioned about how we understand what we're looking at. All the deeper patterns, and the jitta is very affected by emotion and feeling and, and retains So sometimes what we're looking at, we're not looking at freshly at all. We're looking at it conditioned by what's gone before. Colors the projection of the mind. For example, someone, a friend of us, someone that we've known for many years, a young Zulu man that lived at the hermitage in South Africa, where we, we oversee a small, very small hermitage. One day he came to us because he was very fearful, very frightened. He said, what's the problem? He said, oh, there's a frog in the garden. In the Zulu culture, the frog has all sorts of nasty attributes. It has the, it's, a, it's a bit like perhaps what sometimes in our culture one would say about black cats or something. Not now, hopefully. And the frog's just sitting there doing its thing and suddenly it becomes this repository of all sorts of bad things. And this young man is very strong, very powerful, very proud of his warrior-like power that he had. But suddenly he just completely collapsed because of this little frog. So we went to take the frog away, put it somewhere else. But what was he reacting to? It wasn't anything to do with the frog at all. It was the, the mind, by its own conditioning, projecting onto what is, what is uh, some other creature. And then it starts to react to its own projection. And then if one isn't mindful and realizing it's the mind creating this, then one has to go out and kill the frog to feel better, to alleviate the fear. This is, a, this is the predicament that we have as human beings. We don't see clearly. We're not seeing freshly. We're seeing according to what has been imprinted upon the jitta, from our conditioning, from our cultural beliefs, from our personal traumas, our biases, our views. And it doesn't only get projected out, it gets projected inwardly. So jitta projects, and then we react, and then act out of the reactivity. So in this practice of the term for mindfulness, yoni so manis sakara manis, that 
part of the mind that goes out and makes an object of the world, which then the jitta, the subjective aspect of the mind, reacts to. That aspect of the mind that goes out and names, we're training, we're training that aspect of the mind to make the jitta itself, the heart, the inner, if you like, the inner sense of our deepest sensitivity, that which feels, that which resonates with. We're training that aspect of the mind to reflect directly back. Body, mind, mental activity, and also this deeper sense of, also an aspect of the mind, but we've been calling it heart. It's not different than the mind, actually. It's all the jitta. But to distinguish a little bit because of the tendency to think of mind as just thinking, Still mind, but it's the the mind that's sensitive, that receives impressions. So we're training that attentiveness rather than keep going out to train that back to the heart. And then when we do that, of course, we start to be confronted by the conditioning of the jitta, what has been conditioned, what has been felt before, the impingement. feelings of worries or fears or anxieties, hopes, love, hate, the jittas in the third foundation of mindfulness. We know to how the jitta, mind, heart, is affected by, colored by longing or desire or aversion or the hindrances. So part of this work of mindfulness is not only to reflect and discern, but also to to help heal and to release from these old, redundant conditionings and patternings that no longer really serve us, keep us from seeing clearly, keep us from the fullness of our being. So in our meditation, we want to, you know, we want to go peaceful, we want to be illuminated, we want to have the fruits, but often the reality is we have to spend a lot of time patiently, very, very patiently, very kindly dealing with the residue of what has already gone before and what is felt within, the, within this, uh, our experience of the jitta. It's called the sankharas or the patternings or the shapes, the the shapes of the self that has been affected and shaped by all sorts of impingements and conditionings, socializations, views and ideas, traumas, memories. So it needs a lot of care to do this work, to both realize that in mindfulness, There's a a stopping of the reactivity, a calming, a slurring of the mind to be able to to move out of some of the reactivity to what has been felt and an ability to train the manisikara to bring into the womb of awareness. This is literally what this training of mindfulness means, to bring whatever appears to us, a sense of self that's hurting in some way or another, to bring that into the, the 
the underlying true nature of the jitta, heart-mind, which is pure awareness. The mind, the, the mind-heart, the jitta, is actually in its true nature is ultimately unaffected, although it is affected on, on some level, on a very immediate level, by what has gone before. The truer nature, deeper nature of the jitta, sometimes the analogy is like a mirror. It's empty, but it reflects what comes before it. But it isn't harmed by what is reflected in it. It can be angels or it can be demons. And it will be the whole range of possible experience as human beings. We'll experience angels and demons of this created mind. But fundamentally, the nature of the jitta is pure. It has a a luminosity. It has an imminence, a presence, which we experience as awareness, that which illuminates our experience can illuminate. It's reflective, can reflect, contemplate. And it has this quality of what in wisdom, what in Buddhism is called prajna, panya wisdom or intelligence it's not the intelligence of knowing lots of stuff but it has a reflective knowing intelligent natural intuitive sense of knowing sometimes prajna is translated as Pra meaning before nya, before what we know, actually, before the knowledge, before the stuff, before the ideas and views and opinions about ourselves and the world. There's this fundamental nature of knowingness. This is an attribute of the pure jitta, which isn't knowing about, but it's actually, in a way, it's stripping away all our knowledge and entering more the deeper awareness, which is a state in some ways of unknowing, mystery, pure presence. So we can, we can recognize, we, we have moments, it's very intimate, it's the most obvious thing to us, this fundamental nature of the jitta, which we can recognize, we can taste, taste is peace, space, freedom. But then we want to create someone that knows and can capture, so then already the mind then moves into its creations, its holding on, its complexities, its reactivities creating an object that knows something, a me. So in this practice, we can reflect today, we can start to reflect if we 
being mindful, establishing presence, if what is emerging is some of these deeper or old patterns of the heart that come up that we feel tinged with dukkha. Not to have to shy away from that, not to have to think something's going wrong, but as encouraged by the Buddha to turn, to take the opportunity to help heal these old stories, these old pains, realizing we don't have to keep cycling and cycling and cycling through them. But allowing this this power of mindfulness is bringing the training. It's a training of attentiveness to notice, to inquire what is really happening here. This is just thinking rather than this is me, being created as a me in some shape or form. This is thought. And then perhaps beneath the cognitive story there is a feeling, sensation. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Just that much, just knowing, yes, it's unpleasant, it's pain. Just resting the awareness there, resting attentiveness there. Allowing the natural intelligence of the awareness to begin to heal, to release from the addictiveness of the mind to keep going again and again to the same storylines. Deepening presence And then in moments, noticing. The fundamental nature of the the jitta. Resting there. And that which is just simply aware. First it can feel very vulnerable because we're used to dwelling in the structures of the mind, which is like defending ourselves by our our thoughts and our strategies. So when we start to touch the jitta that's unconditioned, that's just present, it can feel really vulnerable. Who am I? What am I supposed to do? But as we get to become more familiar and trust and rest and recognize that it's okay. So Jin Char would say, he said, it's a bit like the mind is like an empty bell at this gong in front of us on the stage. It's empty. We can, we can sometimes feel if I'm just dwelling in pure awareness, I won't know what to do. I won't know how to react. I'll just sort of dissipate into a puddle on the floor. But what we're beginning to trust that there's a, the, that the intelligence that's connected with the deeper flow of life will, in fact, not not only not know how to respond, but will respond more appropriately, accurately, to what is needed. So Ajahn Chah says it's a bit like you hit the bell; it will make a beautiful sound according to its nature. But then we don't trust that space and that. Emptying, so we keep filling, we fill the bell with all sorts of stuff, hold on, and then gets touched and it just goes clonk. No resonance. So, in this meditation, we're training the attention to be here, we're noticing if there's dukkha, that it's okay, we can work with that, be with that, 
rest awareness there, investigate, let be, let go as is encouraged. And as we let go to, we're not letting go into a vacuous state, we're letting go into the fundamental purity and ground of the heart. We might experience that as groundless, it's just, we might experience it as immovable. These are just words to point to that which transcends words. But we'll know it by by the sense of it being home, by the sense of relief. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.